All right, good morning. No running in church. Let's open our Bibles to the book of Joshua in the Old Testament. We're going to start a verse-by-verse, chapter-by-chapter study in this marvelous Old Testament book. I'm very excited about our studies in the book of Joshua. Of course, I'm always excited about our studies in every book of the Bible, but I think especially so uh, in Joshua, uh, I think the Lord is showing us some really important things in this book. It's a timely book. Our text this morning is going to be Joshua chapter 1, verses 1 through 9. The topic, God gives Joshua his word that the children of Israel will possess every place their feet tread upon in the promised land. The title of our message, The Tread of Victory and the Analogy of the Feet. So we're going to begin in verse 1. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, to the land which I am giving to them, the children of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given you, as I said to Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon... As far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites and to the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and of good courage for to this people you shall divide as an inheritance the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous that you may observe to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may prosper wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night, that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid nor be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Let's pray. Lord, we can't help but hear Jesus telling us that same thing, that you are with us wherever we go, that you'll never, not ever, leave us or forsake us. So we appreciate, Lord, even now just seeing ourselves in this text, and we want to see more of ourselves in this text. We understand that the children of Israel really, literally, physically went into the land and accomplished these mighty deeds. But we also understand from the book of 1 Corinthians, Lord, that everything in the Old Testament is written for our learning and that they are types and illustrations that help us to understand the depth of your love for us and the blessings that you have given us as Christians filled with your spirit in possession of your word. And so as we pursue these studies, Lord, start this morning by opening up our heart and our hearing to all those things that are needful and helpful. We pray in Jesus' name and everyone said, Amen. Most of us are familiar with job performance reviews. God gave one to Joshua in chapter 13. I'll read it to you. It's Joshua 13, verse 1. He says, Now Joshua was old, advanced in years, and the Lord said to him, You are old, advanced in years. And there remains very much land to be possessed. I don't know if you could say that anymore in a job review. Can you say that? 
in a performance. How would you like that to be your performance? You sit down and you say, well, Gene, first of all, I'd like to say you're old and advanced in years. And there remains very much land yet to be possessed. Now, by the time we get to God's assessment in chapter 13, we'll see that Joshua had accomplished a great deal. But there was much more to be accomplished, and God encouraged him to make progress. I think at almost any point in our Christian lives, God could lovingly say to us, there remains very much land yet to be possessed. It's not necessarily a criticism, and it's never, ever a condemnation. It is simply our Lord seeking to encourage us to experience the fullness of our spiritual blessings. The tribes of Israel conquered the promised land of Canaan, but along the way, for various reasons, they settled for less territory than God had allotted them. It becomes a type and an illustration for us. In our case, the territory isn't a physical geography so much as it is a spiritual one. Our territories are all the various aspects of our lives, our marriage, our family, our church, our employment, anything and everything we think or do or say. Even if we have accomplished much in each of those territories, there is always more to be accomplished as we walk by faith, claiming God's promises and applying his precepts and principles. Unfortunately, like the tribes of Israel, we, for various reasons, can settle for less in our territories. Hence the Lord's wonderful prompting, there remains very much land yet to be possessed. Our studies in Joshua can be a watershed moment in our lives. If we will take God's performance review to heart and learn from Israel's successes and failures, we will be invigorated to make progress in our territories. If not, we will continue to simply grow old in them. The book begins with a simple enough exhortation, get moving. Joshua is told to rally the tribes and conquer the land. He's encouraged that anywhere and everywhere their feet tread, they will conquer. God had already given them title to the land. They only needed to walk in it to claim it. Just as Israel had to tread further into their physical territory, so too must we tread further into our spiritual territories. There are obstacles and opponents, but they are already overcome if we will simply walk by faith against them. I see a twofold encouragement in these opening verses. I'll organize my thoughts around two points. Number one, your urge to tread further into your territories. And number two, you're encouraged to tread fearlessly in your territories. Let's start in verses one through four, where you're urged to tread further into your territories. After 400 years of slavery in Egypt, and then 40 more years of wandering in the wilderness, the tribes of Israel were finally about to enter the land promised to them as Abraham's descendants. The land was theirs by grant from its original owner. That would be God. Fierce enemies were entrenched in the land. No matter all they need do is walk by faith and literally walls would come crumbling down. You still face fierce enemies in your Christian walk. No matter. They were defeated by Jesus Christ at the cross. All you need do is walk by faith and you will be the overcomer of any and all opponents and obstacles that are in any and all of your territories. And so it's an exciting beginning to an exciting book. It says in verse one, after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun. Joshua had been born into slavery 
in Egypt. As a firstborn son, he was saved on that first Passover by the blood of the slain lamb. And so he knew firsthand by personal experience, the deliverance of God. He went on to distinguish himself as a servant to Moses. No easy task, but he was faithful in it. And then as a soldier, he actually led the Israelites in battle. And you'll remember from the book of Numbers that he was a faithful spy who encouraged that generation that they could go into and take the land. You remember that spy story at the borders of the promised land of Canaan there at Kadesh Barnea, 12 spies went in and they came back and gave their report. 10 said in Hebrew, no way. Two said way. That's the way they talked back then. The two who said way were Joshua and Caleb. As a result of their refusal to enter the land and walk in it by faith, God determined that entire generation must die wandering in the wilderness. All of them but Joshua and Caleb, that is. Joshua would eventually lead them in. And that time had come, and we're at that time in this book right now. Verse 2, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, to the land which I am giving to them, the children of Israel, every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given you, as I said to Moses. Now, the land was God's to give, and he gave it to Abraham all the way back in the book of Genesis. The Jews now only needed to tread into it and upon it to fully possess it. Verse 4, from the wilderness in this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, and all the land of the Hittites, and to the great sea towards the going down of the sun, shall be your territory. Just an archaeological note, uh, they just discovered the Hittite Empire in the early 20th century. Uh, for many, many years, the Bible was criticized because uh, they said that these people never really existed. And, of course, they, you know, we don't depend on archaeology to let us know if the Word of God is true. We believe the Word of God is true. And then archaeology comes along later on using Bible coordinates often and finds these people. And so they did. They found the Hittites. And uh, just an interesting note there about those people. Now, with all the negotiating going on in the Middle East over Israel's right to exist and carving up the Holy Land and the city of Jerusalem, it might be a good idea for us to remember these are the ancient boundaries of their land as granted to them by God. How would you like it if somebody came over to your house and said, you know, we, we're going to take over half of your living room. Uh, we believe that you're, 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 you don't have the right really here. I know you have a title policy, but uh, I'm going to live in half of your living room and um, all of your bathrooms. And across the street, we're going to set up mortars uh, so that, you know, we can uh, wipe you out any time. What do you think about that? Great. Hey, let's go for it. Um, so remember the real borders of the promised land. Now, it's interesting to note, never in her history has Israel occupied all the land granted to her by God. Not during the reigns of King David and Solomon. Israel will fully occupy all her promised land in the future when Jesus returns in his second coming. Now, it is going to be a key to our benefiting personally from the example and instruction in Joshua to see our lives in terms of territories that we've been granted by God to conquer. I often use marriage as an example because it's something we all can relate to at some level. 
Marriage is in trouble generally as an institution in our society, and not because so much of modern socioeconomic problems and pressures, but because we have abandoned God's principles and precepts for marriage. Even Christians are failing in their marriages. The solution isn't dissolution of marriage. It is to go further into the spiritual territory of your marriage. It is to conquer the opponents and the obstacles that seek to destroy your marriage. What are some of those opponents and obstacles? Well, in many cases, they're things like selfishness, unforgiveness, anger, bitterness, resentment, and the like. God has given us all the resources we require to overcome things like that. If we do not, it is because we are settling for less and therefore we are falling short. Very interesting, this look at our lives as territories that God wants us to conquer. Because quite honestly, though there are biblical grounds for divorce and remarriage, I want to make that clear. Divorce is not the unpardonable sin and it's not some stigma that we put on people. I'm not talking about you personally, unless the Lord brings this to your heart. But marriages fail And many times when Christian marriages fail, it's because people are settling for less than God wants for them. God is asking them to apply forgiveness, to get rid of their bitterness, to overcome their resentment, to quit being selfish. And quite honestly, we say, no way. We're not going into that land. Those giants are too big. I can't overcome them. I don't want to be miserable anymore. So I'm going to stay right here. And this is what we're talking about. Now, throughout the studies, I'll probably use our serving here in the church more as an example of territory. And that would be appropriate for at least two reasons. One, it's an experience we share in common as we serve together. Now, you know, our vision for ministry is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. And most of the ministry takes place outside of the formal church setting where you live and work and play. And so you're being equipped to go out and minister the gospel of Jesus Christ. But as a uh, gathering of believers, we have a lot of serving going on, a lot of things that need to come together in order for us to present the word of God and showcase the word. And so we can see ourselves serving and we can see our areas of service as territories that the Lord has given us. And therefore, we can talk to ourselves about whether or not we are really conquering those territories. And so that's a good way to begin. Think about your area or areas of service to God if you have a ministry here at the church. Even if you're doing an adequate job, are you going further into your territory? Can you honestly say you have fully, totally conquered every part of that territory? Or have you settled for less? Settling for less doesn't always seem like an evil thing. It doesn't always seem like a sinful thing. There's no stigma really attached to it. Next week, Lord willing, we'll see that there were tribes that, who on their way to the promised land decided they liked the land on the other side of the Jordan River. They said, hey, Mo, that's what they called Moses back in those days. They said, hey, Mo, we want to settle right here. We don't want to go into the promised land. We like it here. There's grazing land for our cattle and all. Moses eventually allowed them to settle there if they promised to go with their brothers 
into the promised land and help them conquer it when the time came. And they said yes. And we'll see Mo, or, uh, Joshua, who was not called Joe, by the way. Joshua, uh, we'll see him encourage them. Hey, are you guys going to do what you said? And they said, absolutely. And they send a strong fighting force. And those guys hang out with their brothers and fight with them on the other side. And so you look at them and you think, hey, on the surface, that's kind of, that's okay. They, yeah, they settled short, but they're doing great. Well, hardly. They did great for a while. But you don't want to be on that side of the Jordan when your neighbors are the Assyrian Empire and the Babylonian Empire. And those are the tribes that always got wiped out first when judgment came upon the children of Israel. They just really didn't do well at all in the long run. And so it's very significant to us. Sometimes we think we're doing okay, and we are. We're actually doing okay. We're, we're, there's, you know, this is fine. We've settled in. Christianity is not something we ever want to settle into. There's always more to conquer. Now, I'm not going to be asking this of you. God is. And it's not to criticize or condemn, but rather to encourage. If I'm not moving forward, I am falling backward. I may not know it. I may not notice it. But the Christian life is not a life of maintaining a position, but of going further and further right up until that day the Lord calls me home whether I die or whether the rapture takes place. Now, we're not left to fend for ourselves against these fierce opponents and very real obstacles in our various territories. And so in verses 5 through 9, we see you're encouraged to tread fearlessly in your territory. The obstacles were real and the opponents were fierce. They had inspired fear a generation prior and certainly could do so again. The generation about to enter the land could easily become dismayed and fearful. And so God gave Joshua and through him the tribes of Israel reasons to tread fearlessly. And they are spiritual truths that are applicable to us as well. They begin in verse 5 where you read, No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. The presence of the Lord was and is the key to overcoming any and all fears. But by his presence, we mean more than just him always being with you. In, in a human sense, it's possible for me or someone to be with you, but not be very much help, whether it's emotionally or physically or financially. I mean, it's, it, there is a being with that, that can't help you. Because of what's going on. The idea we have of the presence of the Lord is that he is able to help you and he is always helping you. It is an understanding that in his providence, all things work together for good in your life. A couple of weeks ago, we looked at this in our studies in the book of Acts. Uh, as Paul was involved in the, the shipwreck, all things work together for good to them that love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. And his presence is also the knowledge that his thoughts are for you and they're about your future and they're always good and based upon his everlasting love. God is always thinking good thoughts about you. And he's always seeing the end that he is bringing you to whether he's a potter um, and you're on the wheel or whether you're metal in his fire, whatever analogy you want to use, God sees what he is making you into. 
And if you really understand this as the presence of the Lord, his providence and his promise to complete you, you need never fear what anyone or anything can do to you. And the guys I love the most here as an illustration are Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Daniel's friends in the Old Testament. Nebuchadnezzar said, I'm going to kill you. I'm going to burn you. You guys are going to burn. And they said, do what you want. God will deliver us or he won't, but we don't care. I love that. They had no fear. They were the originators of the no fear t-shirt. Nebuchadnezzar looked in and he said, I see a t-shirt that says no fear. You know, I mean, it's crazy. They said, God's going to deliver us or not. But we don't fear you. You can't do anything to us. That is the kind of presence of the Lord that we have. Now, God said, as I was with Moses, you are not the first person called upon to tread by faith and conquer enemies. You have examples in Scripture to base your faith upon. And they were all men and women just like you and I. They're men and women of like passions. There was nothing special about these people like Moses and Paul and Joshua. They didn't become saints and then God conferred power upon them. They were just like you and I. And God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. It's a great formula. Everybody's the same. God never changes. He can do whatever he wants in and through whoever he wants to do it with. And so we can't shrink away and say, well, I'd like to claim more territory, but I'm no Moses. Hey, Moses, he had problems. At one point, he didn't want any territory. He says, you know, I don't... I'm not the guy. I'm slow of speech. They're not going to listen to me. And God said, you are the guy. I have all kinds of analogies built up around this. So you're the guy. And and he works with him. But so you and I, we're the guy. Then in verse six, be strong and have good courage for to this people, you shall divide as inheritance, the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. This would qualify as an unconditional promise to Joshua. Our struggles in many territories of our lives would be greatly eased if we believed the many unconditional promises in God's word. And that brings us to our greatest resource. You know what it is. It's the word of God. God has told us how to tread in every territory in his written word. And the next two verses contain keys to unlock our understanding of his word. It's one thing to say, hey, you've got the word of God, but what do we really mean by that? How does that help us to conquer? Well, in verse seven and eight, he says, only be strong and very courageous that you may observe to do according to all the law, which Moses, my servant commanded you do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may prosper wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. Joshua had the law of Moses. Could be a reference to just the book of Deuteronomy, but it's probably a reference to the first five books of the Bible. We have the complete written word of God from Genesis through Revelation, and we have the indwelling presence of God, the Holy Spirit. And so if you look at Joshua and you marvel at what he accomplished, we ought to accomplish more because we have more word and more spirit-inspired word. Now, we're told several things. First, we're told to observe to do the word of God. 
And, and immediately we think, well, you just, you know, you have to be obedient. And that's true. But it doesn't just say to observe and then do it. It says to observe to do. Is there a difference? Maybe. And I think so. Observe to do indicates a predisposition on my part that whatever God says in the Bible, I am going to submit myself to. In other words, I observe it, I read it in order to do it. I have the predisposition, the, the understanding that whatever I read in God's word, if it tells me to do something, I am going to do it. I'm not going to uh, argue about it. I'm not going to debate about it. I'm not going to try and figure out a way out of it. I, I look to the word to, to do it. It's also a reminder that my observation of what God says to do is an empowering to do it. God's word is alive and it's powerful. And when I read it, it empowers me to do what it says to do. It's it's uh, and that power comes by the word of God and the spirit of God. For example, if God says to husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her, then I can do that. Do I always do it? No. Do I do it perfectly? No. But it's a territory in my life and I can do it and I need to press forward in doing it. Likewise, a wife can submit to her husband as unto the Lord. She observes it in the Bible and with the observation comes the empowering. It's as simple as this. God doesn't ask you to do anything that you cannot do. We still have a flesh to contend with. We're still in a fallen world. We have an enemy in uh, the devil and his angels, fallen angels. And so we have these obstacles and opponents. That's why we have trouble. But don't think... We have to avoid thinking that there are things in the Bible that we cannot do because that is not true and we will never conquer any territory if that's our attitude. Now, then we're told, second, do not turn from the Bible to the right hand or to the left. Why would I turn away from the Bible? Well, one reason I would is if I thought there was some better wisdom that was available to me than what I could read in God's word. There isn't especially not in the territories I'm called to tread upon. Nevertheless, the world offers me its wisdom, doesn't it? Take this area of marriage. God has a lot of teaching on marriage. Very important, the fundamental building block of all human societies. How are we doing as a society with our uh, revolution in marriage, with our redefinition of marriage? Is marriage stronger because of our ideas and attitudes? Are children better off because of the way we have redefined marriage? All the statistics are negative when it comes to those things. And so God's word says this. This is a marriage. One man, one woman for life. There's some biblical grounds for divorce. But here's the teaching. And then within that marriage, here's how you take over that territory and then the world comes and says that, come on, you can't just marry somebody without getting to know them. You got to live with them for a while. See if things are copacetic. <laughs> the, you know, the Bible says that you're to parent and, and train up your children in the way says you go. And the world comes and says, oh, that's bad for your children if you, you know, don't get along. Uh, you know, your, your children don't want to be brought up in an environment where you and your husband don't get along. You know, they'd rather be brought up in an environment where they don't know their father 
you know, that kind of a thing. And so, you know, I'm dramatizing this. I hope I'm not hurting anybody's feelings, but this is, this is what we're talking about. We're talking about whether or not God's word is true and I want to follow it or turn from it. And we live in a society that has turned from the power of God's word in many, many areas. And Christians who are too willing to turn from the power of God's word, too willing to find something in the world because it's popular and give it a Christian name and bring it in and say, this is what the Bible teaches. And and they'll go so far. I mean, I've heard people suggest that that if Jesus and Paul knew some of what we know today, they would have said things differently. Wow, that's crazy. Are we turning the world upside down for the gospel or did Paul the apostle? Are we going around doing miracle signs and wonders or did Jesus Christ? I mean, we need to get back to the Bible, not farther away from it in terms of its wisdom. And then third, we're told that the Bible is not to depart from my mouth. It's really a very curious phrase. It's explained by what comes next. The phrase, you shall meditate in it day and night. Get out of your mind the Eastern mystical understanding of meditation where you empty yourself while holding your fingers in a weird position. I never got into meditation because I couldn't cross my legs. But anyway, (laughs) meditation has nothing to do with emptying yourself. It has to do with filling your mind with the word of God. And really, the word here for meditate, it's a very curious word. Literally, it means to mutter to yourself. Go around muttering like this. How you doing? What's going on? And not muttering in a bad way. I'm not talking about the under your breath talking you do when you're angry. Not that. It's a good muttering. It's a positive muttering. And the idea really is that you are constantly talking to yourself from and about the word of God. Think of this in an ancient setting where scrolls were very, uh, you know, expensive and they were rare. And so you would hear the word of God read in synagogue and you memorized it and you would mutter it to yourself as you would repeat that memorization. That's why I've told you for years when Jesus on the cross said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He was directing the Jews in that audience to Psalm 22, what we call Psalm 22. They didn't call it Psalm 22. They called it, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Because that was the first line. And so the Jews and people like them were familiar with muttering, And meditation in that way, because they spoke to themselves the word of God to memorize it. In our case, we read it and reread it. We keep reading it and then we think about it and talk about it. And we ask God to grant insight from it. Reflection might be a better word to describe this muttering in a modern society. It's a better word than meditation, reflection. And then fourth, have I not commanded you? What a powerful statement this is. Slaves and servants and soldiers got commanded. This reminds me that my life doesn't belong to me. I was redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. And at the time, I was happy about it because my life was really bad. It, it, was, it was going down the tubes in just about every area I could think of. In just a few short, let's say you maybe come to some awareness when you're 12 or 13 years old. Before then, life is a blur, really. You just remember things from photographs. And so you're 12, you kind of come to, you know, come into age. And then I'm like 22. So it only took me 10 years to completely trash my whole life. 
And so when I gave my life to Jesus Christ, I was, I said, Lord, you've got to take every area of my life because I've made a mess of my, my, uh, every relationship, of, of my employment, of my spirituality. There's nothing good about my life that I really want to keep. You take over and he did. Problem is, as we grow in the Lord, we can forget this and we, we forget that we're slaves and servants and soldiers and we think that we're partners. You know, that God has elevated us to this, you know, to it's, uh, you know, Jehovah and Gene, a limited partnership. <laughs> it starts off as just Jehovah Incorporated. And then later on, it's Jehovah and Gene. And uh, so my life is God's to do as he pleases. It's not mine to do what pleases me. If that sounds too restricting or confining, I would suggest it can only sound that way if you don't really know the person who is in control of your life. There is no one better qualified, better suited to, to give you commands and tell you what to do than your loving Savior, Jesus Christ. He died for you. He rose from the dead for you. He's given you his life. He saved you for all eternity. All over the Bible, all you read is that nothing can separate you from his love. He couldn't love you any more. He's never going to send you into, as a soldier into a battle situation to kill you. He's never going to, as a servant, ask you to do something that is beneath you or as a slave to put you in bondage. His thoughts towards you are phenomenally good. And he's able to bring to pass all the things that he says. And so anytime I feel like, Lord, I know what you're telling me to do, but it's just too confining then I'm got my eyes on myself and not on the Lord because he would only do what's good. Be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid. Don't be dismayed for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. That's how this section started. So this is telling us that fearlessness is made real by the things in between that we discussed. I honestly believe that our studies in Joshua can be life-changing both personally and and corporately. The Bible always is a life-changing experience. Whenever we come in any setting, the Word of God, it, it just, it, it vibrates with power. And if we're attentive to it, if we observe it to do it, it is life-changing. But there are times, I think, when there are certain studies, there are certain moments that are more life-changing than others. And I'm really encouraged about what the Lord could do through the book of Joshua. I really do believe that. And it can change us both personally and corporately. Personally, each of us can get shaken out of our apathy or complacency in some territory and make progress that has eluded us. For example, maybe there's a trait in your life that you've given up seeking to bring under submission to God. Something that when it occurs, you simply say this famous saying, that's just the way I am. Have you ever said that? Don't admit it if you have. Because in most cases, what you really mean, if you analyze it, is that's just the way I was before I came to Christ. But we're copping out and saying, oh, that's my personality. Uh, you know, that's just the way God made me that way. Wait a minute. Doesn't the Bible say old things have passed away and all things have become new, that you're a new creature in Christ? I can never say when I'm sinning or when I you know, have a terrible reaction. 
that's just the way I am. I should say that's the way I was. God, I'm sorry. You need to give me the power to conquer this territory. I mean, I'm Italian. Maybe somebody gets me angry and I want to kill them because I have a vendetta gene. I can't say, well, that's just the way I am. Look, have you seen the Godfather movies? I mean, that's a, my restraint is amazing, you know. Not to take anything away from your culture, but a lot of times we cop out. All of us have things in our life where we think that's just the way I am. It's the way you were, and God wants you to conquer that territory and press forward. And then corporately, we can take inventory of our life as a church, and I think it's a good thing to do. For example, we're coming up on five years here in our building. Have we conquered all the territory we thought we would when we first got here? Are there areas where we have settled and are no longer moving forward? It's something for our leadership and all of us to struggle with. And I don't think we should be um, hesitant to do so. In these questions, there's a tendency, like in any performance review, to become defensive. I'm not asking these questions. God is. He's asking them through this book of me individually, of each of you individually, and all of us corporately. He's not asking them to criticize, and there is no condemnation in asking. They are for my good, they're for your good, they're for our good, and ultimately they're for His glory. As we work through this book, pray for a heart that is willing to receive God's review. God has already granted you victory in all your territories. He's urging you to go further into them and to respond fearlessly within them. Let's pray. Father, thank you for these things. We want to be strong and courageous as we face opponents and obstacles who are deeply entrenched in our Christian lives. We've gone so far. Some of us are still camped on the other side of the Jordan. Some of us are in the promised land, as it were, and we've had many victories. We've conquered many enemies. But all of us have territory that is not fully won. And I pray, Lord, that we would get going, get moving, and tread in those areas to be fully the men and women of God that you want us to be. Use your word to accomplish this, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's stand together. I already have my Mother's Day muffin. With great restraint, I didn't eat it halfway through. But anyway, you can get those over in the uh, cafe and uh, grab one with or without fruit. Uh, may God bless you and keep you. The guys are here to pray with you. If God has stirred your heart in some way, you want prayer for yourself or any other reason, come forward and receive that. Uh, God bless you. Have a great restful day. And uh, encourage, strengthen, bless, build up one another in your most holy faith.